We've come now to the final, uh, really, portion of this particular book, and we've been preaching through the book of Philemon on Wednesday night. It's an opportunity that I've had to be with you. I must tell you, we were sitting around the dinner table a little while ago, and my wife looked at me, and she was talking about this series and that it had been a blessing to her. And then she asked me this question. She said, now, are you making these up yourself, or is this coming out of a study, out of a curriculum? And I just didn't like the way she worded that. Are you making this up? No, it's right here in the Bible. I'm not making anything up. Uh, I think I understand where she was coming from, uh, but that kind of took me back a little bit. No, I, I don't like to think that I ever stand in the pulpit and make anything up, you know. We're trying to just preach God's word. Uh, but uh, this, this uh, book, this letter, ha- has been a help to me. And, um, and as I've studied again, just this final portion, uh, I believe that we have some things here that uh, will be an encouragement, really help to all of us as we really kind of sign off on this book uh, for this time. Look in verse number 20, if you would, where Paul writes, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. And then the remaining three verses really are just greetings and salutations uh, from the apostle to some different individuals uh, that likely would uh, have um, had opportunity to hear from him through this letter uh, to uh, Philemon. I want to preach to you this message tonight, or really kind of teach our way through the final couple of verses here of this passage. And I want to take for our topic uh, that a portion of Scripture in verse number 20 where he says, let me have joy of thee. Let me have joy of thee. I want to I begin by asking you this question. What brings you joy in life? What brings you joy? You know, each of us are, are very different. So it is highly likely that what brings you joy may not bring me joy. And that's, and that's okay because we don't have to uh, we don't have to like the same things. We don't have to enjoy necessarily the same things. Uh, this weekend, uh, for, for, for me and others that, that are, could identify with this, this weekend brings about a new college football season. And next weekend brings a new pro football season. And uh, I, I, I'm the type of person, I love sitting down uh, to watch a big football game. Uh, I enjoy that, and I have a couple of my children that enjoy watching uh, a football game with me. My wife does not enjoy that. A couple of my children do not enjoy that, but some of us in the house do, and so we'll gather together and we'll uh, watch a game. That, that brings me a tremendous amount of joy. Now, I'm well aware that some of you are hearing me, and you're thinking that would be the most miserable way to spend two and a half, three hours of my weekend in front of a television watching guys play football. And I get that. That's fine if that's not your, uh, if that's not your thing. Um, but that's what I enjoy. That brings joy to me. Others of you might find joy in yard work or perhaps maybe shopping or reading a good book. Some of you might find joy in the game of golf or perhaps uh, fishing on a lake or a stream or a river somewhere or maybe sitting on a, just simply sitting on a front porch, sipping sweet iced tea and watching the world go by. That is what would bring you joy. Uh, Your preferred method of enjoyment isn't any better than mine, nor is it inferior to mine. Um, We're all just different, and as a result, we might find joy in different things. Now, now that may be true in the the realm of the physical and the carnal. 
Uh, But I want to remind you that the spiritual is not that way. Um, The reality is that the spiritual life, listen, the spiritual life is not about me figuring out what makes me happy. The spiritual life is is not me living to fulfill my own joy, but the spiritual life really is me living my life and, and it's trying to really fulfill Christ's joy. In other words, the joy in the spiritual life and, 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 and pleasure in the spiritual life is, is found in figuring out, okay, what makes Christ happy and doing it? That's where, that's where joy is found in the Christian life. Um, I, I think to myself that in Christ, my, my own will is to be surrendered And his will is to be magnified as my chief objective or chief goal in life. Now, most of you are familiar with Romans chapter number 12. And in Romans chapter 12, of course, we we learn of the surrendered life. And Paul writes that every believer needs to live and discover the surrendered life. He says in verse number one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's surrender. I'm yielding this to the Lord. Lord, this is, this is my body. This is my life, but I'm giving it to you as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, so here in Romans chapter 12, Paul is encouraging every believer to present, to yield their bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Now, some, some might resist such a, such a thing. They would say, that's, that's a little too much, don't you think? Isn't that a little too extreme? But here's what, here's what we find at the end of verse number one, that Paul reminds us in this text, that's not extreme at all. In fact, Paul says, this is your reasonable service. We, we, we've gotten, we've gotten things kind of turned upside down, haven't we, in our world? And we look at the surrendered life as, wow, wow, aren't you something? You've surrendered your life to the Lord. Well, I don't know that I could, that I could do that. I don't know that I'm quite there yet. And the apostle Paul is writing and he's saying, listen, this isn't extreme. This isn't some, some act of heroic, uh, you know, adventure here. No, this is your reasonable service. In other words, he's saying, this is the least that you could do as a believer. He warns, in this text against conforming to this world. And then he urges that the believer's mind is to be transformed. Now to be what God created you to be is going to, literally it's going to, it's going to require that your mind be rewired. It's, it's going to require that. And that takes time. That takes, um, uh, that takes years in God's word. And that takes years in church. That's a process. And and the truth of the matter is, I suppose in some respects, it's probably a lifelong process in which we're always in the process of having our mind transformed. So this is a, this is what God, this is what God would have for each and every one of us. Now, 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 you can't, you can't think the way you used to think, the way your natural mind will naturally think if you're going to be what God saved you to be. You're going to have to think completely and totally differently. And the only way, the only way that you can have that mind transformation is by getting into this book, studying this book, 
reading this book, determining to obey this book, hearing this book taught and preached and, and, and living out the truths and the principles that are found in this book. We have sort of had this idea that we're super Christians if we come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I'm just here to tell you that's not sufficient. It's not sufficient. You need, listen, you need God's word every single day. You need it daily if you're going to experience a mind transformation. You, you, again, the Christian life, it requires a transformation of the mind that goes, that goes from, from one, one extreme to the other. The mind has to go from what, what brings me joy, what do I like, what pleases me, and here's what, here's what God, here's where God wants us to come to. God wants us to come to, Lord, what pleases you? What brings you joy? If you'll just tell me what brings you joy, what makes you happy, I'll do it. That's what the Christian life is all about. Let me have joy of thee. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. In other words, that's like removing, it's removing that old mind, that natural mind, that carnal mind that just wants to please self, that just wants to enjoy, just enjoy life. Uh, Paul says you, you, need to, you need to put that off, that former conversation, the old man. He says that's corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you how many years you've been saved tonight. Because that doesn't really matter. Because we, all, we can all think of people who've been saved a long time, but they're really not all that spiritual. And we can think of people that have been saved a short amount of time, and yet they're growing in their Christian walk by leaps and by bounds. So here's what I'm going to ask you tonight. As you look at your mind, is your mind more in line with the natural, the carnal, the physical, in which your life is continually driven by what makes you happy, what brings you joy, or, or would you say, no, I'm actively engaged, I'm diligent in trying to make sure that I'm living my life in, in light of what pleases Christ, in light of what makes God happy in light of what this book teaches and just trying to live my life according to this book. That, that's, that's, that's really what we're looking for here. Because you can be saved for 45 years and you can still, still be pretty much wired to think what, what pleases me, that's what I want. And you can be saved for just a couple of years and you can already be in the mode of saying, I just want to please the Lord. I just want to bring pleasure to the Lord and to Christ. Now Paul is the human author of Philemon. But you've heard this said over and over again from this pulpit by more than just me. But the Bible is clear that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So it's important to note that the Holy Ghost of God is the author here. God is the author. Now we read it because it's in, it's, and it's a per personal letter from, from Paul to Philemon. But, but make no mistake about it here. This is, this is God's word. And the Holy Spirit reveals, I believe, in three specific uh, requests at the conclusion of this letter how Philemon can bring, bring joy and refreshment to the Apostle Paul. But because this book is the word of God, in reality, by doing these three things, Philemon is actually going to bring joy to the heart of Christ. And I got to thinking, you know, because our God doesn't change, if these things brought joy 
to Christ's heart, if these things brought joy to God 2,000 years ago, don't you suppose that these things will still bring joy to the Lord today? So that if we'll, if we'll begin to implement these things into our lives, listen, we can live life in a way in which, listen, every single day, I'm bringing joy to the heart of Christ. And wouldn't you suppose that would make for a successful marriage if you got up every day and you said, I'm gonna do what I can to please my spouse today. I'm gonna do what I can to please my spouse today. I'm gonna figure out what it is that brings them joy and I'm going to, I'm gonna meet that need in their life. Why do most marriages fail? Because most marriages are, are, are sort of like this. We wake up every morning and we say, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna see if this person that's laying next to me can bring joy to me today. I'm gonna see if they can figure it out. I mean, we've been married all of these years. Don't you suppose they should know by now what makes me happy? And that's why the divorce rate is as high as it is. It's why uh, there, uh, there's uh, families that are divided and the divorce court and the divorce lawyers are, uh, are, are, are have more work than they can possibly handle because most people look at their marriage and they say, I'm gonna be happy so long as you make me happy. And the reality is, is that we need to, we need to re- remember, we need a transformation of our mind. And we need to look at our marriage and say, what can I do to make this person happy? And we need to look at our relationship with God and we say, God, you don't exist to make me happy. There are a lot of people that think that. We talk about that a little bit on Sunday. That, that there's, there's, there's a lot of people that sort of view, view God as, you know, he, he's just there to fulfill all of my wishes and all of my dreams and all of my goals. That's not what it's about. So understand that we're going to look tonight at three things that Paul is asking of Philemon. Uh, that uh, the three disciplines that really should be found developing more and more in Philemon's life and definitely should be developing in our lives. And understand these disciplines, these, uh, the fulfillment of these requests brings great joy to the heart of God. So let me give them to you. There's, there's three things that uh, the Apostle Paul is asking here of Philemon, but really we understand that this is really the Lord making this request. So you can, you can bring joy to the heart of God, number one, through submission. You can bring joy to the heart of God through submission. Look in verse 21. He says, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Now, Paul wrote, he wrote to Philemon, he says, I am confident in you that you're gonna gonna do what I'm asking you to do in this letter. Now, we understand that what is being asked in this letter is a pretty, pretty significant ask. We've studied this and we understand that Onesimus is this runaway slave and, um, and he gets saved and Paul sends him back to, uh, Paul sends him back to Philemon because he had run away from Philemon and Paul is saying, listen, I want you to receive him and I want you to restore him. I don't want you just to receive him back as, as your, as your servant, but I want you to receive him back as a beloved brother. All right. So this is the ask that Paul is, is, is making here. And, um, and, and, and then he finishes this letter by saying, listen, listen, I have confidence. I know this is a big ask, but I have confidence that you're going to do it, that you're going to obey what I'm asking you to do. Now, understand that submission, or I should say success in the Christian life, is found in submission. 
It's always, it's always true. Listen to what the Bible says in James 4 and verse number 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to, the, to, to, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice verse number 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, now really, you're gonna, we're going to find this in a minute, that submission and humility are really the same thing. So success in the Christian life is found in submission. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So the success, success in the Christian life is found in humbling yourself and being subject to others. Living in submission to others. Now listen, you can't live that way. You cannot live that way unless your mind is transformed. <laughs> That's impossible. Because none of us like to be in submission to anybody. I've got a 10-year-old son. He wrote the book on defiance and not being submissive. You know, I mean, he just, you know, everything I ask him to do, just looking at me like, Dad, I don't have time for that. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You know, it's the size and it's the, you know, the frustration. We're working through some things, obviously. But I'm just simply saying, listen, that's how, that's, that's all of us. That's all of us. He, he's not some special case. Well, he's, he probably is a special case, but, but <laughs> he's not some, he's, he's, he's like everybody else. So you can't, you can't live this way without a mind transformation. Did you know that success, not only in, in the Christian life is found in submission, but do you know that success in marriage is found in submission? The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verses 21 and 22, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about wives submitting themselves unto their own husbands, and I do believe in that. I believe the Bible teaches that. But I tell you what, a lot of, a lot of times we like to skip over that preceding verse where the Bible says we're to submit ourselves one to another. I mean, there's, some, there's some submission that needs to take place both ways. As we think about the marriage relationship, as we think about our, 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 the closest people in our lives, did you know that not only success in Christian life, success in marriage is found in submission, but you know even success in your career is found in submission. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Well, you... If you went into work every single day and that was your attitude, that was your spirit, you know, you'd, you'd probably be the last guy to get fired. So success in, in your career is found in submission. Now, submission is a foreign word to those who have not experienced a mind transformation. Here's the definition of submission. It is the act of yielding to power or authority. It is the acknowledgement. Now, get a hold of this. This is so important because this is gonna lead us into our first, our first subpoint here. It is the acknowledgement of inferiority or dependence. Webster would go on to define submission as yielding of one's will to the will or appointment of a superior, but he doesn't stop there. Because I'm like, this is good. I, I had to write this down. This isn't Bible, this, but this is, this, is, this is, it is Bible. It's just not coming right out of the Bible, right? So it's, it's yielding of one's will to the will or appointment of a superior without murmuring. That's the mission. Now, that's the, that's the part where, you know, I got to work with my boy on. I got to work with my daughters on. The truth of the matter is it's the part that God's got to continue to work with me on. 
Because a lot of times he comes to me and he says, hey, do this. Or maybe even one of you come to me and say, hey, I need, I need this from you. And I, I might, I'm gonna do it, but I grumble and I complain the whole time. No, listen, real submission is doing it without murmuring. Without murmuring. Now, what was Paul asking Philemon to do? He's asking him to receive and to restore Onesimus. Now, who, who was the superior and who was the inferior in this, in this context? Now, now, we live in a world that doesn't like to break things down that way because we're living in a world that is focusing in on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're all the same, fairness across the board. But I want you to know something. That's not how it works. In every relationship, listen, in every relationship, God, God has designed it this way, that there is, a, in, there is a superior and there is an inferior. Now, we're resisting that, and that's why our world is in such a mess, because there's, there's no authority, there's no, there's no, there's no flow chart of who's going to take responsibility for what. Uh, no, one, no one wants to be held accountable for anything. But understand, understand that, that Paul here, as the apostle of God, who, who is also writing under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he is writing to Philemon, who is the inferior here, and he's saying, listen, I've given you something to obey, you need to obey it. Again, we don't like to think in those terms, but I believe it's necessary to do so if we're going to live in an orderly world. Now, God, listen, God has ordained authority, and there will be times, there will be times in all of our lives when you find yourself as the superior in a relationship, and then there will be times when you find yourself as an inferior in a relationship. Knowing how to conduct oneself in, in, in these situations is of utmost importance. So as you think about when you go to work tomorrow, you have somebody over you. That's your superior. You're the inferior. So when they ask you to do something, you need to do it without murmuring. If we had young people in here, I, I would tell them, uh, our young people are in classes and different things, but I would tell them, hey, listen, you live in the home with your parents, and when mom and dad ask you to do something, you need to do it because you're the inferior, they're the superior, and you need to do it without murmuring. And if there were students in here, I would say, listen, when you go to the classroom tomorrow and you, and, and you sit down in the classroom and the teacher says, hey, take out a piece of paper and, and, and write, write this down and do this, you need to do it because you're the inferior, the teacher's the superior, and you need to do it without murmuring. And you could, you could break that down into every relationship in life. Now, here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say. Number one, God is always superior. God is always superior. Whatever, whatever I am asked to do by him will be my duty to do and to do it without murmuring. Why? Because I will always, always, always be inferior to him. I don't, I don't, care, what, well, I don't care what level you rise to in life. God is to be obeyed first because he is always superior. There's, there's no man that can ever get to a position now, there's a lot of men who think they can, and there's a lot of men who are defying God and defying his authority, and judgment day will come someday for them if it hasn't already begun to fall. But I'm just simply saying, listen, listen. if you understand who God is and you have a right understanding of who you are, then you will understand there will never be a time in which God isn't superior. So every, every, every command that I read in this book, every command I have an obligation to obey. Every prompting of the Holy Spirit of God, I have an obligation to obey. 
When I come into church and the Spirit of God speaks to me through the music or through the preaching or through the teaching, and he says, hey, listen, you need to change this. You need to adjust this in your life. I'm I'm under obligation to obey that. Why? Because God is always superior. So what what Philemon is being asked to do, we're sitting here saying, well, that's a lot. Well, that's a lot. But when Philemon understands, hold on a minute, who's asking me to do this? Paul, yes. But I believe these men even understood, no, no, this this is coming from higher up than Paul. This is how God would have me to live. This is, this, is, this is God's instruction. And since God is always superior, well, then I have an obligation to obey him. Now, here's a second thought that I want to bring out here because he, he, he covers it at the end of verse number 21. Not only is God always superior, but he even says as it relates to submission, he says this, he says, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. Do you see that at the end of verse number 21? He says, he says I have confidence in thy obedience I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. More than I say. Paul, Paul wrote, not only he says, not only am I confident, Philemon, that you're going to do what I'm asking you to do, but I, I, I believe this about you. I believe that you're actually going to do more than what is required. And here's the question. Can you be counted on to do more, more than what is required? Remember, remember, what, remember the Bible says, the Bible says that's your reasonable service. Like, in other words, that's the baseline. Certainly, we can do more than that, can't we? Certainly, I, 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 can, I can go the extra mile. You know, I, I think to myself, there are far too many time clock believers. And you know, what a, you know what a time clock believer is? Someone who's constantly watching the clock, constantly keeping score, you know, constantly just, just, just meeting the, uh, the, the bare essentials, you know? It's the guy that... You know, the guy that shows up, you know, you got to be there at 8, and he walks in the door at 7.59 and 55 seconds, and I mean, he just barely, and I mean, he's, you know, he's watching that clock, and as soon as that clock hits, it doesn't matter what's happening. I mean, I mean, he may be on an assembly line, and he might, you know, he might destroy the whole thing, but he is out the door. Why? Because I, I can go at 4, or 3.30, or whenever. There's a lot of Christians that are wired that way. All right? Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll, it's the Lord's day. I'll go to church. And I mean, they, they, they zoom on this parking lot about five minutes after the service started and they come running in, they find their seat and they sing and they, and they, and they sit and they listen to the preaching. And I mean, before the final amen is even given, I mean, they are running out that door and, and there's no opportunity to develop relationships. There's no opportunity to serve. There's no thought of getting involved further. And, and, and I'm not preaching to most of you tonight because you're here on Wednesday night. The vast majority of you, that's not the way that you're living. And, 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 I, and I'm not also gonna say there aren't times in which you do have to pull in right as things are getting started and get out as soon as it's over. I'm not saying that that's always the wrong thing to do depending on what's happening in your life. But I'm saying if that's the normal pattern, and you're a time clock believer. You're, you're, just, you're just doing enough to satisfy, to, to just sort of get by. Christ taught his followers that if they were compelled to bear a burden, and by the way, in, in that culture in which they lived, legally, a Roman soldier could demand a Jew to carry their burden for up to one mile. And Jesus said, listen, if you're compelled, he says, when, when you get to that one mile, don't just drop the thing. Go, go another mile, why don't you? It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to kill you to do it. Here's what he said. He said in Matthew 5, 41, whosoever should compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Go with him too. I, I, you know what I think he's saying? I don't think he's saying, 
I don't, because here's, here's where the time clock believer, you know, here's how you go, okay, all right, I'll do, I'll do that second mile, but I'll not do one step past the second mile. Sort of like when Jesus said to, said to the disciples, you know, you forgive, you forgive, and, uh, and, and, and Peter says, well, should we give, forgive seven times? And Jesus says, no, you can forgive 70 times seven. Jesus is saying, just keep forgiving. And I guarantee you, Peter's sitting there and he goes, he's, he's doing the math in his head. 70, all right, you know, and he's keeping a little checklist, one, two, three, slash, one, two, three, four, slash, you know. When we get to that, when we get to that 490th time, I'm out, I'm done. And that's, and that's, how, a lot of, that's how a lot of believers are. Je- Jesus isn't capping it at two miles. It's just, it's just a general concept. Do as much as you can. Go as many miles as, you, as, you, as you're able to. But, but, but be willing, be willing to go beyond what is required. So how are you going to bring joy to the heart of God? Do it through submission. But there's a, second, there's a second thing I think that brings joy to the heart of God, and I think this is so fascinating. We can bring joy to the heart of God not only through submission, but number two, through hospitality. Through hospitality. Look in verse 22. But with all, prepare me also a lodging. Prepare me also a lodging. You know, um, life is, is nothing apart from human interaction, the fellowship, and the companionship that we enjoy. It's why God said about Adam there in the garden in Genesis 2, it is not good that the man should be alone. You ever start to think about <laughs> how awful this life would be if there was nobody else around? Now, there are days in which that sounds really appealing. There are certain people, you're like, I could probably do without, I could probably do without him or her, you know. But honestly, think, think, about, uh, think about the, uh, just the, the vibrancy that, that fellowship adds to life. I mean, think about, think about what Jesus poured himself into during his earthly ministry. You know what he did? He gathered, he gathered a team of people around him and everywhere he went, they went. And they shared meals together. And they, and they worked together. And they served together. And they, uh, they walked together. And they talked together. And I, I, I'd say there are probably a lot of times in which they slept in the same vicinity with one another. I mean, I, I mean these, these, these guys knew each other better than they probably knew anybody else on planet Earth. And that's what Jesus poured himself into. It was relationships and fellowship. How it must bring joy to God's heart to see believers looking out for one another and doing whatever they can to meet one another's needs. Now, I was thinking as I was preparing that we've heard a great deal recently of America's financial investment in Ukraine. I'm not here to argue about that tonight, but you know as well as I do that there are Plenty of voices, most of them I think would lean more conservative, and they're, they're leery of investing more money over there. And I understand that. I get that. And I, 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 I do wonder, you know, what's the path forward and can we continue doing this? And, you know, and I, and I, and I get all of that. And I'm not here to have a political conversation tonight. But I do want you to know something. Listen, listen. It is in our DNA to help those who are suffering. That, that, that ought to... That ought to thrill you when you think to yourself, now wait a minute, I'm a citizen of a country 
And I, and I get, listen, I get, I saw, I saw something recently. There's no other country on earth that taxes people to give money away to other countries. I get all of that. But think, of, think about how that's hardwired into our DNA as Americans. You heard Brother Tom and I talk about this benefit that we're trying to do for Lahaina. And of course, there's some of our own. As you know, maybe you know Brother, uh, Brother Alan Jenkins. He founded a ministry called Nehemiah's Network. And already, I got a, a note from him today about what's happening there in this hurricane in Florida. And I mean, they're... Their, their boots on the ground, man. As soon as, as soon as that storm lifts, they are sending equipment and they are sending supplies in there. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm proud to be an American because Americans flock to those that are suffering. You say, where does that come from? Well, that's a great question. You know where that comes from? It comes from the fact that that's what believers do. And this country, listen, I, I get it. We're, we're far from a Christian nation now. But, but in our founding, listen, our country was founded upon Judeo-Christian values and ethics and principles. It's why we have always been, as a nation, we've been sympathetic to refugees and to immigrants. And I gotta tell you, this can be abused. And, and, and it probably is being abused today. But I want you to know something. This quality is uniquely Christian. It's what Christians do. Because, because that's what brings joy to our Heavenly Father, is hospitality. Did you know, did you know that one of, the, one of the qualifications for a man to be considered as a, as, a, as a pastor in a church, as a bishop, a leader in the church, is that he must be given to hospitality? He's got he's, he's to he's be willing to, to rub shoulders with people and to help people and to serve people. Now, every believer, listen, every believer should have a heart for hospitality because it so clearly reflects Christian values, really in two ways. Let me, let me give them to you. Number one, why, why does hospitality bring joy? Number one, to the heart of our God. Number one, because hospitality is giving. That's what it is. It's giving. Paul says here, he says, prepare me. He says, prepare for me. This was going to require a sacrifice on the part of Philemon in order to fulfill Paul's request. And, and you, know what, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says there is no pure religion apart from giving to people, helping people. This is what the Bible says in James 1.27, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know, I got to thinking about that. And doesn't it sound like, doesn't it sound like God is putting on the same level holiness, and ministering to the down and out on the same level. And then we say in there, he's saying, this is pure religion. This is it. You'll know that you've been around someone who truly walks the walk and talks the walk when they keep themselves unspotted from the world. Yes. At the same time, that person is also running to minister to, to care for, to love, to give to the fatherless and the widows. I... um. I heard a man who's a successful pastor shared with me his ministry philosophy. You know, he told me, he said, he said, when I was a pastor, he said, this is, he said, I, I, one of the things I wanted to focus on more than anything, he said, was the widows in our church. He said, because I, I just believed, he said, that if we looked after the widows, God would look after us. I never thought about that like that before. And I thought, man, that's, that's a good way to live. That's a good way to live. And, he, and here's, here's what, that's hospitality, it's giving. But notice that number two, hospitality is not only giving, but hospitality is serving. When we open our homes and lives to others, we're serving them. We're trying to make them feel comfortable and at ease. We 
We serve them food. We do what we can to show them a good time. Christ said that leadership and greatness in his kingdom is found in serving, whereas leadership and greatness in the kingdom of the world is found in being served. So understand this, listen, we bring great joy to the heart of our God when we serve others in the realm of hospitality. So don't don't be in such a hurry, you know, to run out of here. And don't get here because, because it's impossible, since it's impossible to be hospitable to your fellow church members and to the guests that God brings our way when you're just pulling on the lot at the last second and you're running out the door as soon as church is over. And stick around a little bit and get to know some people. And we'll have church fellowships every once in a while. Listen, you, 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 know, you may not like church food. You know, we might have somebody serving a meal, sitting around a table. Don't eat it if you don't want to, but come and sit at the table with us and break bread with us. That's what the, that's what the early church did. And there was joy there. And I believe, I, I believe it rejoiced the heart of God to see people sitting around with one another, talking and fellowshipping and breaking bread and praying together and encouraging one another. It's what believers do. And it brings joy to the heart of our God. Number three, you can bring joy to God through submission, through hospitality, and then lastly, I believe, through prayer. Look at the end of verse number 22. He says, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Those words, I'm praying for you. And how encouraging are those words? When somebody comes to you and says, I want you to say, I'm praying for you. I, I, have, I have multiple people in this church I know that they pray for me every single day. A lot of times they tell me that. I want you to know something. As a family, we, we pray for you every single day. Boy, that's encouraging. That just lifts the heart and the spirit and rejoices my heart. But listen, if that brings joy to my heart, what must that do to the heart of our God? To know that God's people are praying for one another. Why, why does it bring joy to God's heart? Well, first of all, because prayer is communication. It's communication. Who are we communicating with? I'm communicating with God. When I pray, I'm talking to God. God wants to hear from me. He longs for me to fellowship with him in this way. And you know this, listen, relationships require communication if they are to thrive. So, so what, are the two, what are the two essential elements of communication between God and man? Well, number one is God speaks to us through his word. Now, we know that he also speaks to us in other ways. He speaks to us through preaching and teaching, but of course, that's centered on the word. He speaks to us through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showed this handiwork. And I believe, he, I believe he speaks to us through circumstances sometimes, through open doors and closed doors. We talked a lot about that a little bit on Sunday night. And then I think maybe he might even speak to us through fellow believers, not an inspired way, but just, again, a word fitly spoken. It just rejoices the heart, and, and we just say, you know, that's a blessing that comes from God. So, so listen, in this communication with God, there's got to be an opportunity for him to speak to you. And I think he wants to do that in a service like this. And he wants to do that in your own home as you maybe get up early in the morning, you stay up late at night after everybody's gone to bed and you get in God's word and you allow him to speak to you. But listen, listen, this, this communication thing has got to go two ways. And the way that you and I communicate with him is through prayer. Prayer is communication. And I want you to know something. I believe that it rejoices the heart of our God when we as believers carve some time out of our daily schedule. We find a, a quiet place, maybe in our home or maybe in, uh, on a walk somewhere. Maybe we get down on our knees and we pour out our hearts to God. It brings joy to him. But notice, not only we see that prayer is communication, but we also see that prayer provides hope. 
Look what he says here. He says in verse number 22, he says um, that through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. Paul said, if I ever have a chance of getting out of this jail, it's gonna be because people like you pray for me. That brings joy to the heart of other believers, brings joy to the heart of God. Why should you pray? Because in many circumstances, many situations, it's the only hope for folks. Did you hear that prayer letter tonight of that missionary family that's got that son? 300 days straight of a headache? Think about that for a minute. What should you do with that? What do you think God would have you do with that? God would have you go right to the Lord. God would have you go right to him and say, God, I heard about this boy. I don't know him. I don't know how old he is, but you know who he is family that we support, missionaries out of our church, or not out of our church, missionaries we support in our church, and they got a boy that's had a headache for almost a year straight. God, would you do something? You know, that may be that boy's only hope. Sounds like the doctors haven't figured anything out. Sounds like medicine isn't helping. That boy's only hope may be the prayers of God's people. Prayer provides hope. Everything else folks have tried maybe has failed, and all that is left is prayer. And we say that like it's a bad thing. I'm here to tell you that really that's not a bad thing at all because listen, that's enough. That's enough because God's power is sufficient. God's power is unleashed when God's people pray. So you wanna bring joy to your God tonight. You can do that through submission, through obedience. You can do that through hospitality. He takes such joy and pleasure when we look out for one another's needs and we care for one another. And I believe you'll bring joy to the heart of God through prayer.